Good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for tuning in. You are listening to Fiscum All, your weekly consistency check on America's political and legal file systems. I'm your host, T. Greg Doucette, here in studio with Mike the Sound Guy, and we are broadcasting to you from the heart of downtown Durham, North Carolina. It is Monday, September 25th. We are almost done with the month of September, and we've got yet another long podcast today. I've got nine pages of material. Uh, luckily, it's not as many stories, so it's uh, there's a little bit more court stuff that I've got to excerpt, and we're covering Law 140 again this week. Uh, we will be talking about First Amendment retaliation by government employees. But before we get into the details, a few things. One, uh, thank you for the reviews, those of you that reviewed us last week. We're still trying to get to 100 before the end of the month. I think we're at 94. So if six of you could pause the podcast and go give us a rating or review on iTunes, that would be fantastic. And someone also mentioned that they had been leaving a review on other nationalities, iTunes stores, because they live in another country. That's fine. That's totally cool. I can actually see them uh, for most other countries because the website that iTunes uses shows the first five reviews, I think. Um, So please do that as well. One, it helps listeners in your country find the podcast, but then two, I, I think it's cool. I mean, I've never had people in other countries wanting to listen to me, which is both weird and awesome at the same time. Um, also, Make sure that you join the conversation online. Our Twitter account is at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. You can leave a comment on our website, Fiskamall.com, or the Patreon community is Patreon.com slash Fisk, slash slash F-S-C-K. actually need to show some love to the Patreon folks. I have been uh, neglecting that page for the past few weeks. Uh, The news about Samson has come back. It is not positive Uh, Unfortunately, he does for sure have lung cancer, potentially has it in his lymph nodes as well, and may have it in his prostate. Uh, So I have been a mess for most of the past couple weeks. It's a miracle this podcast is still getting done. Uh, But rest assured, those of you on Patreon, you've got a bonus episode coming to you that we've already got in the works. So let's get into some of the details this week, and we'll start off as we always do with the politics and our parody president, the beloved papaya potus, Donald Trump basically spending most of the week getting into feuds with sports figures, I guess. Uh, He spent a lot of time and energy criticizing the NFL and people who happened to protest during the national anthem. But then, not to be outdone, uh, NBA star Steph Curry said that he wouldn't come to the White House to celebrate the Golden State Warriors national championship. So Trump disinvited him, at which point LeBron James called him a bum and made a very valid point that you can't disinvite someone who's already said they're not coming. Uh, But then Trump continued going back to the NFL. He actually had a campaign rally down in Louisiana on behalf of Luther Strange, who is the incumbent senator who replaced Attorney General Beauregard. And this is what the Copper Kaiser had to say about the NFL. Wouldn't you love to see one of these NFL owners, when somebody disrespects our flag, to say, get that son of a bitch off the field right now, out, he's fired. He's fired! God, this fucking clown reminds me of Howard Dean with his I Have a Scream speech that he had back in, what was it, the 2004 election cycle, when he's all, you know, he's fired. Shut the fuck up. First, how is it disrespecting the flag to kneel? I'm curious, because I'm pretty sure I take a knee every Sunday when I go to church, along with God knows how many other Christians across the country every week. But it also reminds me 
of how far my former party has fallen. Because y'all remember when President Obama said the word ass on TV during an interview with Matt Lauer and how the GOP was in such a tremendous uproar because he was detrimental to the country and everything else. Do you remember that? Here's the clip. So this had to do with the BP oil spill. This is Obama talking with Lauer. I was down there a month ago before most of these talking heads were even paying attention to the Gulf. A month ago, I was meeting with fishermen down there, standing in the rain, talking about what a potential crisis this could be. And I don't sit around just talking to experts because this is a college uh, seminar. We talk to these folks because they potentially had the best answers, so I know who's asked to kick. And Lord have mercy, the Republican Party was up in arms after that. I can't believe he said that in prime time. The Family Policy Council and a whole bunch of other people were just totally outraged. And now you've got the Republican president at a campaign rally during prime time calling people sons of bitches for engaging in First Amendment protected activity. How far have we fallen? But then after that rally, Trump kept going. So I, I pulled his tweets from the past day. So we're recording this on Sunday. So these are tweets from Saturday. We've got among the highlights, uh, going to the White House is considered a great honor for a championship team. Stephen Curry is hesitating, therefore invitation is withdrawn. Sports fans should never condone players that do not stand proud for their national anthem or their country. NFL should change policy. Courageous patriots have fought and died for our great American flag. We must honor and respect it. Make America great again in all caps. Uh, pleased to inform that the championship Pittsburgh Penguins of the NHL will be joining me at the White House for ceremony. Great team. A guy on Twitter uh, said that this is like having three doors down, play your inauguration. Complete joke. Uh, Trump continues. Uh, if NFL fans refuse to go to games until players stop disrespecting our flag and country, you will see change take place fast, fire or suspend, exclamation point. Uh, NFL attendance and ratings are way down, all caps, boring games, yes, but may, many stay away because they love our country. League should back U.S. Roger Goodell of NFL just put out a statement trying to justify the total disrespect certain players show to our country. Tell them to stand. If a player wants the privilege of making millions of dollars in the NFL or other leagues, he or she should not be allowed to disrespect our great American flag or country and should stand for the national anthem. If not, you are fired. All caps. Find something else to do. It's a little creepy to me that a supposed Republican is saying that in order for you to make money in the private sector, you have to give deference to the state. That is not how it's supposed to work, guys. I'm sorry. So anyhow, I did a tally. So if you look at all of the Apricot Authoritarian's tweets from the past day, uh, he had one of random shit where he tweeted about his wife that is only there when he needs her for a photo op. Uh, he had two on health care, one attacking Republican Senator John McCain, another attacking the Republican senators in Alaska, Maine, and Kentucky. Uh, three were on foreign policy. There was one on Iran, one on North Korea, and one on his Muslim ban. And then there were 12, yes, two-thirds of all of his tweets on sports. One on the NBA, one on the NHL, and 10 on football. And it's interesting because there's a, there's a running meme online that for every thing that Donald Trump comments on, he's got a prior tweet saying the exact opposite. And folks actually dug up a tweet of his from 2013 
when Trump said, quote, the president should not be telling the Washington Redskins to change their name. Our country has far bigger problems. Focus on them, not nonsense. We do have bigger problems, Mr. President. You're doing what we call majoring in minor events. You should be majoring in major events because you're supposedly the leader of the free world. You're the president of the United States. You might want to act like it. But the reason he doesn't is because the fact is Donald Trump is a racist. The kimchi Klansman is a racist. There's no real avoiding that reality now because just look at who he's chosen to criticize. He's criticized Steph Curry, who's black. He's criticized the NFL players, who are also black. Uh, criticized Jamel Hill over at ESPN. She's black. Uh, criticized Ken Frazier, the CEO of Merck. So he was one of several CEOs that left Trump's little CEO council. Uh, but he happened to be the black one, who he's the one that Trump decided to criticize on Twitter. But when it comes to Joe Arpaio, who violated federal law and ignored a court order, Trump gave him a pardon. And when it came time to talk about the Nazis and Klansmen in Charlottesville who actually killed somebody, he said that they were, quote, very fine people. How far have we fallen? Now, keep in mind, this is the one-year anniversary of the National Museum of African American History and Culture, part of the Smithsonian in D.C. Uh, the bill to have that created was signed by Republican President George W. Bush. And now you have Donald Trump in office. Fuck us. Uh, also on political news, Jared Killer Kushner is in the news because he decided to create a personal email address for conducting official business as a way of uh, getting around public records laws. Uh, you might recall that Obama's EPA administrator, Lisa Jackson, did the same thing back in 2013. So this has been illegal for a while, and he's known it's been illegal for a while. And yet the Trump crime family continues to flagrantly violate the law because they can. So that's going to cover it for the political stuff. In court news, we've got three Circuit Court of Appeals cases dealing with uh, qualified immunity. The first one's out of the Third Circuit. And I'd mentioned previously in an earlier podcast and on Twitter how judges play games with word choice as a way of taking a concept and making it either broader or narrower. And one of those is in the issue of qualified immunity and how government officials violate your rights. Because the Supreme Court has said those rights have to be, quote, clearly established. So to determine whether or not it's clearly established, they'll decide how broad they want to frame what took place. So this is in the Third Circuit out of Pennsylvania. Uh, the case is Mann versus Palmerton, Palmerton excuse me, area school district, where 17-year-old Sheldon Mann got hit. He's a football player. He got hit in a game, got a concussion. The coach made him play anyway. He got another concussion. Coach kept making him play. Uh, he's ended up with a traumatic brain injury. So the family filed suit, and the court has said that they don't get any money because the right isn't clearly established that was violated. And the court says, quote, We agree with the district court's conclusions pertaining to the claims against the football coach. While Kowiak's alleged conduct, that's the coach, by the way, if proven at trial, would be sufficient to support a jury verdict in favor of Mann on his state-created danger claim. But the right in question, listen to this because this is elaborate, the right in question to be free from deliberate exposure to a traumatic brain injury after exhibiting signs of a concussion in the context of a violent contact sport was not clearly established in 2011. You see how many elements the judge has put in there? A right to be free, there's one. From deliberate, there's two. Exposure, there's three. To a traumatic brain injury, that's four. 
after exhibiting signs of a concussion, that's five, in the context of a violent contact sport, that's six. Judges put six elements to make this right so infinitesimally small that you'll almost never have a situation where any family could ever get any kind of redress for that. When you've got a grown man, government employee, forcing a kid to keep playing football when he's got a concussion, it's, it's fucking ridiculous. Uh, out of the Seventh Circuit, have slightly better news. So this involves Sheriff Clark's jail. Uh, the Seventh Circuit has ruled that the jail does not have qualified immunity in the death of James Franklin Perry. Uh, the court writes, quote, James Franklin Perry died on the floor of the Milwaukee County Criminal Justice Facility less than 24 hours after Milwaukee City police officers arrested him. Shortly after he was arrested, Perry suffered a seizure. The city transported him to the hospital where he received treatment, but after he returned to the city jail, the city failed to provide Perry with medical care, even though he displayed signs of deteriorating health. Instead, they shackled him and placed a spit mask over his face. The city officers ignored his cries for help, his complaints that he could not breathe, and transferred him to the county's criminal justice facility. After arriving at the county's criminal justice facility, that's Sheriff Clark's jail, by the way, the county nurses decided that Perry was medically unfit to be booked into the jail. He was so sick they couldn't book him in. Yet, they provided him with no medical care and failed to remove the spit mask, which was seeping blood. When a nurse finally removed the spit mask, it was clear that Perry was no longer breathing. Now, unfortunately, Clark himself got qualified immunity because of the fact he happened to not be in the jail that night. Uh, but again, these types of things don't just happen. They happen because policies are put in place by superiors that subordinates happen to follow. And this is what Clark wanted. So keep that in mind as the Republicans trot him on stage to show that they like black people and law and order. Uh, out of the Ninth Circuit, Lopez versus Gailhouse. Uh, the court has decided that Officer Galehouse, who murdered 13-year-old Andy Lopez for no particular reason, uh, he is not entitled to qualified immunity. Lopez was walking down the street with a toy gun in his hand. Uh, Galehouse was in the passenger seat of a patrol car with a new trainee and decided to stop, get out, and shot the kid in the chest, fired seven shots, hit him with six. So he is not going to get qualified immunity. In general research news... Uh, Elahe Izadi, I'm sorry I'm screwing up her name, uh, has a piece in the Washington Post on Americans' history to uh, opposing civil rights protests. As part of this, it's a long piece, so you should definitely read it. We'll give it to you in the show notes. But she includes the results from Gallup's polls back in 1961. It includes the question, do you approve or disapprove of what the Freedom Riders are doing? when 61% of the people said they disapprove. Next question, do you think sit-ins at lunch counters, freedom buses, and other demonstrations by Negroes will hurt or help the Negroes' chances of being integrated in the South? 57% said it would hurt. And then in 1963, they asked, what are your feelings about the March on Washington? 60% said it was unfavorable. So this is one of the reasons why I decide to shut the fuck up when it comes to giving black people advice on how they should protest, because it's not my fucking job to advise them on what works best. And I have to check myself and think, am I wrong? You know, am I speaking from my own sense of discomfort when in reality what they're doing works and they should keep up with it? You know, so if you feel compelled as a white person to offer advice to black people on how best they should demonstrate, whether it's standing for the anthem or whatever else, take my advice and shut the fuck up. Thank you. Uh, also, in the general research news out of The Nation, 
David Perry has a piece on police exterminating the disabled. We'll be talking about a few of those cases later today. It turns out just in the past week, there are nine people with disabilities who were killed by police. Uh, His story only talks about four of them, but in the time from when he wrote it until when it was released, another five were taken out as well. So we'll give you that link. Out of the Hill, the Inspector General's Office for Customs and Border Patrol, uh, discovered these guys are basically running their own security details. So here's a quote from the story, quote, An internal Homeland Security Department review has found immigration and Border Patrol executives diverted agents, money, and government vehicles to create their own personal security details without any legislative authority or proof of safety risks. The department's internal watchdog reported the questionable security details cost taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars a year and quoted field agents who said their bosses created them specifically for convenience and not to deter threats. Immigration and Customs Enforcement and Customs and Border Patrol have created their own internal authorizations for executive protection details, staffed them, and funded them without clear legal authority, the report released Thursday evening said. Because these security details incur substantial monetary and personnel costs, provide transportation and logistical services not necessarily tied to any demonstrated security concern, and are often authorized by those receiving the services, these details give the appearance to some observers of being more related to executive convenience and status than protection. So that is your federal government keeping our border safe. So what do you think they're going to do after they have the wall? Uh, Out of Gizmodo, FBI lets their informants run amok. Uh, Every year the FBI has to report data on how many times they give informants permission to break the law. And they break this down into two tiers. Tier one is serious crimes. So if you're importing a, a boatload of heroin or ecstasy or whatever else, that's serious. And then tier two is everything else. So even though they separate these into tiers, when they release them to the public, they glom them all together. Well, your attorney general, Beauregard, and his staff are idiots. So this particular year, they forgot to report the tier two data. And what you learn is that at least 381 times, the FBI has allowed their informants to commit serious crimes and 4,000-ish times, uh, if any Uh, If the past years are any guide, they've allowed them to commit the tier two less serious crimes. So I'll give you that link. That is out of Gizmodo. In the state-by-state news, out of Alabama, in Dothan, or Dothan, however the hell you pronounce it, uh, Karan Davis was 22 years old when he was charged with capital murder and booked into the county jail. It is now 10 years later, and he is still there, still awaiting trial. Uh, from the New York Times story, it says, quote, he has had two judges, four teams of lawyers, and nine trial dates, the first of which was in 2008. His case has outlasted a district attorney who served for nearly three decades. It defies any common understanding of the right to a speedy trial. Man, that's a fucking understatement. Dude's been in jail for 10 years when in Alabama, the minimum uh, jail time for murder is 20 years. So he's done half of a murder sentence without ever being convicted of a crime. It's totally insane. Out of Alaska, the murder conviction of Devin Rossiter has been thrown out because the court there said the district attorney repeatedly mischaracterized the law to the jury to the point that he was deprived of a fair trial. The appeals court said that Jurors were told the only way they could acquit the defendant is if they, quote, thought the victim deserved what he got. 
they also heard that the claim of self-defense made by Mr. Rossiter was, quote, a sham invented by his defense lawyers in hopes the jury would look at the victim in a bad light. The appeals court said that that was an improper jury argument, so his murder conviction has been set aside and he will get retried. Uh, over in California, in Huntington Beach, police kill a guy. Uh, they approached a man outside of a 7-Eleven for no discernible reason. The man was belligerent, swung at the officers. Officer punches him in the face, gets him on the ground. This is on top of him. At some point, the man grabs one of the magazines from the officer's utility belt, the magazine clip, whatever you want to call it. Um, and the officer stands back, pulls his gun, shoots him six times. After he shoots him six times, he shouts, get down and then shoots him a seventh time, uh, at which point the guy crumples to the ground and is dead. Of course, first rule of Fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. There are two separate cell phone videos that were uploaded to social media of this particular homicide, and it's worth noting, this is the seventh officer-involved shooting in Huntington Beach just this year, even though only 195,000 people live there, and it's not a high-crime area. The cops there are just commandos. Over in Los Angeles, police killed Eric Alvarez, who was walking along Interstate 5, apparently having some sort of mental health crisis. People called. Police arrived. Alvarez had a knife in his hand, so the police decided to kill him as he walked towards them without ever seeing if he actually was in a mental health crisis situation and needed some form of assistance. So Alvarez is now dead. Uh, in San Francisco, San Francisco Police Department Officer Joel Babs has been arrested for filing a false police report over a suspected vehicle code violation and fake tags. Now, here's a question. If an officer is willing to lie about something so trivial as the tags on his car, don't you think they'd be willing to lie about something more serious? Uh, that's out of California. In Florida, your federal emergency management agency decided to tweet out help to residents who needed uh, issues with their roofs. They're trying to have tarps put on these roofs, and they wanted to provide a phone number for people to call if they needed help with getting a tarp. And they decided to tweet out a phone sex hotline number. So that is in Florida. Out of Illinois, in Urbana, police were trolling Facebook and saw a picture of Brighton Mellet, or Malat, burning a flag. Now, keep in mind, burning a flag is First Amendment protected expression. Uh, it always has been protected, but the Supreme Court recognized it as protected in 1989 in the case of Texas v. Johnson. So it's been the law for almost 30 years now. Uh, so they decided to arrest Malat anyway. The case was eventually thrown out, of course, and Malat sued, and now taxpayers of Urbana will be paying out $35,000 uh, 15000 to him and 20000 to his attorneys. So that is in Illinois. Out of Kentucky in Shepherdsville, Corrections Officer Jennifer Mitchell has been fined $1,000 for having sex with an inmate. Down in Louisiana. This, God, Louisiana is a special kind of fucked. I, I want y'all to know this. This state is the most ass-backwards in the entire fucking country when it comes to their criminal justice system. Uh, so in Baton Rouge... 23-year-old Kenneth Gleason has been arrested for the brutal killings of two black guys, and, and these are on two separate occasions. Like, he's just randomly killing black people. And then on a third occasion, he went to the home of a black family and shot at it repeatedly. So the guy's a serial killer, and it's racially motivated. But here's, I'm just going to give you the quote from the story, 
and let you think about it for a minute. Now, keep in mind, this guy was named as a person of interest uh, before the weekend. He's named as a person of interest in these three shootings, two killings, one shooting into the home. And the story says, quote, Several descriptions of a white male with a red car were given to law enforcement. On Saturday, an officer stopped a vehicle matching the description and took Gleason into custody, where he was questioned. Search warrants were issued, which led to Gleason's arrest on two unrelated drug counts. Gleason posted a $3,500 bond and was released from prison on Sunday. On Monday, Gleason was arrested again on a theft that occurred Wednesday at a bookstore on Town Center Boulevard. Moore said that Gleason is accused of stealing a copy of the Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. He was booked into a prison on one count of theft and released on a $500 bond early Tuesday. So the guy is a person of interest in three separate shootings. He's allowed to bond out of prison twice. And on at least one of those occasions, decided to commit even more crimes after he's bonded out. So just know that if you're in Louisiana and you happen to be white... You can kill people, and they will let you out of jail. Also in Louisiana, in New Orleans, uh, as we're talking about people killing people, a hunter for it shot his co-worker in the face. He killed 17-year-old Leon Castagny. After he pled guilty, rather than get sent him to prison for killing a guy, the judge has given him probation, requirement that he write an essay, and complete 400 hours of community service. You will be shocked, shocked to know that Hunter Fort is white. Uh, out of Maryland and Baltimore, 33-year-old Lamar Johnson is now freed after spending 13 years in prison for a 2004 murder he didn't commit. On the afternoon of March 26, 2004, Carlos Sawyer was shot in his stomach, shoulder, and buttocks and killed at a busy intersection outside Tench Tillman Elementary School in East Baltimore. Witnesses told police the shooter went by a particular nickname, one that prosecutors declined to reveal on Tuesday, but Johnson was misidentified as the nicknamed shooter, and the jury seemed to ignore evidence that excluded Johnson as a suspect. Well, they now know who did it, and Johnson has been released after having to give up 13 years of his life, a third of his life, because he's only 33. So more than a third of his life given up for a crime he didn't commit. That was in Maryland. In Michigan, we got three stories out of there in Hazel Park. Police officer Sean Boucher, an 18-year veteran of the department, has resigned because he's being investigated for stealing and bezeling $85,000 from taxpayers. Uh, out of Flint, a lawsuit has been filed in the jail death of Carrie Gay Milkowitz. Uh, here's an excerpt from the story, quote, Genesee County jail deputies ignored a woman's moaning, jerking, and convulsing on the cement floor of her jail cell for five days, neglecting to provide her with medical care or treatment while she died of alcohol withdrawal. In Detroit, a lawsuit has been filed by Devontae Sanford, who was 14 at the time he was arrested, interrogated for a quadruple murder, and eventually signed a confession even though he has a learning disability and couldn't actually read. Turns out another person confessed to the crime, and the police and district attorneys both hid that from the defense. Jury convicted Sanford of the crime. He was in jail for nine years. He is now being released as the other person is being prosecuted. Down in Mississippi, uh, a Batesville teacher, Cami Roan, has some thoughts on race. You want to hear him? Here it goes. Uh, quote, if blacks in this country are so offended, no one is forcing them to stay here. 
Why don't they pack up and move back to Africa, where they will have to work for a living? I am sure our government will pay for it. We pay for everything else. So again, when we talk about institutionalized racism, this is the type of shit we're talking about. How many black kids do you think have gone through her classrooms, have had to deal with her racist views that she tries to keep hidden from the public until she slips up and posts it on Facebook? And of course, Roan does what all these people do nowadays. She swears that she has been hacked, uh, saying, quote, if anyone knows me, I post about cows, recipes, and home improvements, not racism. Uh, well, yeah, because you slipped up and actually did it this time. Hacking is not as commonplace as people think. It happens, but people aren't picking random teachers' Facebook accounts in Batesville, Mississippi, choosing to hack into your account and then posting racist bullshit. That's just not what hackers do. They want your credit card numbers and your personal identifying information and a bunch of other shit. Uh, so that's in Mississippi. Out of Missouri, St. Louis has been a festive clusterfuck. Uh, remember last week we talked about the acquittal of Jason Stockley, the killer cop that uh, was exonerated by a judge out there in the protest that ensued. Well, the St. Louis Police Department has decided that if you happen to be at those protests, doesn't matter whether you're exercising your First Amendment right to speak or your First Amendment right to be a reporter, uh, they are going to place you under arrest because they can. Police arrested journalist Mike Falk for reporting on the protests. From the story, quote, Falk was forcefully pushed to the ground by police officers and a police officer's boot was placed on his head. After his wrists were bound with zip ties, a police officer deliberately sprayed him in the face with pepper spray, mace, or some other stinging substance. At some point, an officer reviewed the contents of Falk's phone. Falk's bike had not been returned to him by Wednesday. He was held more than 13 hours in jail, even though an editor was at the jail two hours after his arrest to bail him out. Jail personnel lied to that editor by claiming Falk was still in transit, even though he was already at the jail. Inside the jail, jail personnel denied Falk's repeated requests for medical attention. Falk was issued a municipal court summons, charging him with failure to disperse, and he was released on $50 bail. He returned to the newsroom limping, knees bloodied, and pepper spray still on his skin. So not only did they arrest a reporter, but they've also managed to arrest... Actually, you know what? Hold on. Before I tell you who they managed to arrest, I'm just going to keep reading the story. On Friday, Mayor Lida Krusen asked the Director of Public Safety to investigate how pause this particular person uh, became bloodied during his arrest Sunday when he was mistaken. Fuck, there's no way for me to get around this. They arrested an undercover police officer. Uh, was mistaken for a suspect believed to be carrying chemicals that could be sprayed on officers. The incident began when two uniformed officers near the protest ordered the man to show his hands. When he refused, they knocked him down and hit him at least three times and zip-tied his hands behind his back. When he stood up, his mouth was bloodied, and the commanders the next day told the officers they had arrested one of their own. Not only are they arresting police officers, they're also arresting military veterans who happen to live on the streets that the protests are taking place on. Uh, police arrested another officer Sunday, an Air Force lieutenant who lives with his wife in an apartment on Washington Avenue. Lieutenant Alex Nelson, 27, who works in cyber operations at Scott Air Force Base, was walking around his neighborhood with his wife when they became trapped between quickly closing police lines. He was kicked in the face, blinded by pepper spray, and dragged away. Nelson says, quote, it's our street. I hear the police say it was their street, but it's literally my street. I have coffee on that street. I own property on that street. We were not active protesters. We were looking into the neighborhood to observe events that were unfolding. Also in St. Louis, we have the third rule of Fisk making an appearance. Uh, Chris Somers, who owns Pie Pizzeria, 
happened to call officers dimwits on Twitter for chanting, uh, whose streets, our streets, in response to protesters, police acting like thugs and gang members. So Somers calls them dimwits. The local police union decided that the best way to deal with that was to post on Facebook the phone number for every single pizzeria location with the tagline, freedom of speech needs a little exercise. People then decided to call the pizzeria, place fake orders, call them names, etc., etc., to the point where the business could barely operate. Now, remember, third rule of Fisk, there are no new stories, there are only new names and new jurisdictions. You might remember, in New Jersey, local police terrorized a pizzeria because an officer mistakenly thought an employee wrote the word pig on a box, when really what she was saying was it was pepperoni, and the squiggle for the I was a uh, garlic knot, and the G was, of course, for garlic. Uh, But then also here in North Carolina, you'll remember from one of our early episodes, police terrorized a Smithfield's barbecue because officers falsely claimed that the entire staff in unison jointly sang NWA's Fuck the Police, even though after reviewing security camera, none of that actually happened. So that is in Missouri, out of New York on Long Island. 36-year-old restaurant worker Walter Perez has been tased to death by the New York Police Department. He was apparently high on something, and police were called, and rather than get him medical attention or anything like that, they just tased him until his heart stopped. So Perez is now dead. In New York City, Brittany Hunter of the Foundation for Economic Education has a story uh, on Khalif Browder, and it's it's not just on Browder. So Khalif Browder, if y'all have not heard of him, Uh, There's a Netflix documentary out about how he was falsely accused of stealing a backpack when he was 16, Uh, was in Rikers for three years. Two of those years he was spent in solitary confinement. And even though the case against him was dropped, uh, he ended up killing himself not too long after he was released because being in solitary is a traumatic experience and he couldn't deal with it. So Ms. Hunter has a lengthy piece on the uh, Feed.org website on how the justice system killed him, essentially, and does that with thousands of other people every single day all across the country. So that's out of New York. Out of North Carolina, as we're dealing with the topic of people that are being released three years later, uh, Sean Leroy Butler has been in jail since he was 16 because he was charged with a crime, spent his 17th, 18th, and 19th birthdays in an orange jumpsuit for the killing of 18-year-old Raekwon Smith in 2014, was looking at a potential life sentence without parole when, at 1 p.m. on Tuesday, as jury selection was paused for lunch, the district attorney's office decided they were going to dismiss everything because new evidence raised doubt about Butler's guilt. So this is the part I don't get. You know, kudos to the DA for dismissing the case when he realized he had the wrong guy. That's great. But how are you getting new evidence about a case three years later? Shouldn't you already have all of this thoroughly investigated if you're going to go to trial? That's just me. I don't know. I realize that I don't work on the prosecution side of a murder. But when it comes to defense work, I mean, I expect to have all the state's evidence by the time it hits trial. And if you've got evidence that's quote-unquote new... I'd expect you to have it more than right as we're doing jury selection. So that's out of North Carolina in Oklahoma. We got two stories out of Oklahoma City. The story of the week is Oklahoma City police summarily executing 35-year-old Magdiel Sanchez. Uh, He was sitting on his porch when police approached because they wanted to talk with his dad. Sanchez came towards them, and it's characterized in all of the media outlets as came at police holding a metal pipe. And we're going to cover at the end 
how that metal pipe actually is described when you hear the physical description of it. So came at police, and as he's approaching them, neighbors are shouting, he can't hear you, because it turns out Sanchez is deaf. Well, one officer grabbed his taser and shot him. The other officer grabbed his gun and shot him. So on Tuesday, around 8.15 p.m., Sanchez was shot dead. And of course, bystanders happened to see all of this going on. Turns out Sanchez was not in the car at the time of the hit and run that was being investigated, had no criminal history, but he's now dead anyway. And this is how the pipe is described. It is a two-foot-long metal pipe wrapped in some type of material with a small leather loop on the end of it. Now, if you happen to have elderly parents or grandparents or you have any issues yourself, you may recognize that description as a walking stick that you use for walking. So the deaf guy with the walking stick was shot dead because that's how police decided to deal with the situation. Uh, Also out of Oklahoma City, Oklahoma City police officer Weston Slater has been charged federally for concealing a federal crime. Turns out there was a multi-member carjacking ring where they would steal cars, transport them across state lines, and sell them to unsuspecting victims. Turns out this officer was friends with them and decided to help them out by looking into a police database to see if the cars were reported stolen, and if so, where. So he is currently being charged in federal court. That is Oklahoma. In Oregon, out of Hillsboro, this is the second story of the week that happened to pop up. Uh, four separate agents with Immigrations and Customs Enforcement decided to approach and attempt to detain Isidro Andrade Tafala, who is a United States citizen. Uh, basically, you have a bunch of plainclothes officers approach him. They come up to him and his wife, keep asking him for ID. Uh, guy says, quote, they never identified themselves, even when my wife and I kept asking who they were and why they wanted my information. I gave them my name. They said they had a picture of me that I wasn't here legally. And when they showed my wife and I the picture, there was no resemblance, except we were both Hispanic. The woman had the photo on her cell phone. Well, it turns out, by the grace of God, multiple bystanders had their own cell phones and happened to record this whole situation, including a lawyer from the ACLU who was nearby leaving a protest at the courthouse. None of these agents identified themselves, and they just sporadically left after they realized that this guy was not who they thought he was. So what's frustrating with this, you know, again, first rule of fisk, police will continue to do dumb shit even when they're being recorded. But this is the type of stuff the Bill of Rights was written to stop, to not have happen. You're minding your own business as an American citizen. You're randomly stopped by agents of the government. They're not identified. They don't give you their name. They don't have badges. They insist that you give them your identification. And then without explanation, they decide to leave. This is totally fucked up. This is not how our criminal justice system is supposed to work. So that's in Hillsborough. Out of Pennsylvania and Pittsburgh, police arrested David Jones and Daniel Edelman, and it turns out they were caught on a bystander's video, beating the shit out of them in the process. From the story, quote, The video shows an officer kneeling over Edelman, who was on his hands and knees, punching him repeatedly. The officer repositions and continues throwing punches. Another officer appears to grab Edelman's arms in an attempt to force him into a prone position. You can't tell. That's why they use the word appears, because there are five officers on top of two guys with fists flying everywhere, just beating the hell out of these guys as they're face down on the ground, not able to do anything. So that's in Pennsylvania. Out of South Carolina. So this isn't really a criminal justice story, but this is like some of the the stupid shit that people do. Uh, So the state is one of their big-time newspapers. They get a bunch of awards. And they published a letter to the editor. 
the title says, quote, Teach Truth About the Virtues of Slavery. And I'm going to read you the whole text because it's batshit crazy. It says, quote, The recent controversy about Confederate monuments and flags ultimately revolves around one man and one question. The man is John C. Calhoun, the great philosopher and statesman from South Carolina and the spiritual founding father of the Confederacy. The question is, was Calhoun right or wrong when he argued from the 1830s until his death in 1850 that the South's Christian slavery was a positive good and a great good for both whites and blacks? If Calhoun was wrong, then there may be grounds for removing monuments and flags, but if Calhoun was right, the monuments and flags should stay and be multiplied. Blacks should be freed from oppressive racial integration so they can show the world how much they can do without white folk. The southern states should seize their freedom and independence, and the north should beg the south's pardon for the war. Calhoun's views are unpopular today because, since 1865, the Yankee-imposed education system has taught all Americans that the South's Christian slavery was evil and that everyone is equal. But unpopularity cannot make a truth untrue, and popularity cannot make error truth. You know, here's another thing. There's no such fucking thing as Christian slavery, all right? And positive good... A great good? What the fuck? Dude, you're, you're fucking nutty. This guy is nutty. So the state published this, and then the next day ran an editorial saying, oh, we published it as a study. We were going to see how people reacted, whether they were mad at the guy who had the views or mad at the paper for publishing it. Come on. You know, there's a lot of ways to prove that white nationalists still exist without giving them a platform. All you have to do is go to a Trump fundraiser or a campaign rally or a White House press briefing. You know they're out there. So that was out of the state in South Carolina. They got their headlines. They got to go viral. Good for them, but it's fucking stupid. Uh, in South Dakota, out of Box Elder, a House legislator and Republican majority whip, Lynn DeSanto, uh, posted a meme on Facebook. And I've mentioned this before, the all lives splatter meme. It's a bunch of people being run over by a car and says, all lives splatter. Nobody cares about your protests. Keep your ass out of the road. Uh, DeSanto retweeted or reposted on Facebook, rather, with the addition, quote, I think this is a movement we can all support. Glad to know that Republican legislators in South Dakota embrace vehicular homicide. Uh, out of Texas, Michael Barajas of the Texas Observer has a lengthy piece noting how the body cam law that Texas has implemented allows police to review all footage from all officers relating to any incident where any officer has to give a statement. So basically you get to see all the evidence, you get to get your lies straight, coordinate everything before you have to actually speak on the record. Uh, so that's out of Texas. One bright spot, though, there is a story that says that the prisons have stopped using solitary confinement for punishment purposes starting September 1st. So we'll give you that story as well. They still use it for what well, they, they call it administrative segregation, but solitary confinement. They still use it to separate gang members and when someone is a safety threat, but they no longer use it to punish you for any kind of infraction. In Utah, we've talked several times now about Detective Jeff Payne. He was the guy who arrested Nurse Alex Wobbles when she told him that she couldn't let him draw blood from a victim of a car accident unless he had a warrant. Turns out this guy's got a record, including a severe and persistent uh, charge for sexual harassment. There are other things in there as well, but to have severe and persistent sexual harassment on your record, uh, that's usually a red flag. Kind of disturbing this guy was still on the job. Uh, out of Washington... In Whidbey, police have killed 37-year-old naval officer Nicholas Perkins. 
Perkins called 911 saying he was planning to kill himself and, quote, I'm done, I'm ready to die. So the would-be police said challenge accepted and decided to blow him away themselves. Again, third rule of Fisk, there are no new stories, only new names and new jurisdictions. Uh, Also, the Washington Supreme Court, I meant to mention this during the court news, the Washington Supreme Court has upheld the conviction of 17-year-old Eric Gray. Basically, this kid took a dick pic and sent it to a girl. She reported it to police. The police charged him with distributing child pornography. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute, because the entire purpose of child pornography laws are to stop kids from being exploited. They don't want kids to have their lives ruined because some adult somewhere takes pictures of them and they end up on the internet forever. So essentially, what the Supreme Court has said is that they're going to ruin a kid's life using a law designed to stop ruining kids' lives. You know, he's consensually exploited himself. It is one of the dumbest fucking ideas that I've heard from a court, and we've heard a lot of dumb stuff on this particular podcast. So that is out of Washington. This 17-year-old kid's life is going to be ruined because now, as a distributor of child pornography, his own dick pic, uh, that he is now going to have to register as a sex offender for the rest of his life. He's probably not going to be able to get a job, but he's going to have to deal with having that stigma on him forever because he was trying to flirt with a chick, you know? So that's out of Washington. So that covers all of the criminal justice news. Let's transition into our Law 140 discussion as we talk about the First Amendment and retaliation by government officials for protected speech. Now, with Gouda Gaddafi's comments about the NFL all week, a lot of folks have asked me whether or not what he is doing is legal. And that's a complex question that can't really be answered because, bear in mind, the president can't be criminally prosecuted while he's president. Uh, If he were, he could probably pardon himself, and he's going to have civil immunity generally. So we can't get into whether or not it's legal per se. I would count it as a high crime and misdemeanor personally, but I'm not a Congress critter. So let's go over the law on First Amendment retaliation, this notion that government employees can take action against you for you engaging in protected expression. Before we get into that, bear in mind we've talked about the First Amendment on several of our other podcasts, and I want you to listen to those when you're done here to kind of give you a flavor of what we've covered so I don't end up repeating myself. Uh, Episode 23, just a few weeks back, that one was titled A Story of the Week Every Day. Uh, We talked about incitement. Back in episode 17, that was Thank God for Social Media. We talked about defamation of public figures. Uh, A couple weeks before that, Government by Clown Show, we talked about defamation by government figures. Uh, And then a few weeks before that, in Leaker, Liar, Crony, Sly, we talked about Trump's Twitter account and time, place, manner restrictions on First Amendment speech and forums and that sort of thing. So the question of whether or not the government can retaliate against you for First Amendment expression is a complex thing that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. The Supreme Court cases on it have been fiercely contested, a lot of close votes. But the gist of it is that first you have to decide whether or not someone is a public employee, a contractor working with the government, or a private employee. That separates out their rights. So for the public employees, the main case that's still good law today is... Pickering versus the Board of Education, what's called Pickering Balancing. Uh, and the court there, it involved a, the case involved a teacher who had been fired. 
And the question was whether or not the government could fire a teacher for his expression. What the court said was that, quote, the interests of the employee as a citizen in commenting on matters of public concern have to be balanced against the interest of the state as an employer in promoting the efficiency of the public services it performs through its employees. So this is a balancing test between your rights that some of which you get to keep, but they have to be weighed against the government's rights to actually do its job as the government. So what is a matter of public concern? That was spelled out in the case Connick versus Myers in 1983. This involved a district attorney's office employee uh, who distributed a questionnaire inside her office about an office transfer policy that she wasn't happy with. And the court said, whether an employee's speech addresses a matter of public concern must be determined by the content, form, and context of a given statement as revealed by the whole record. And what the court said there was that because she was talking about an internal policy and only went among other employees, it was not a matter of public concern. Her being fired for distributing that survey was fine. In Garcetti versus Ceballos in 2006, this is a 5-4 decision. This was a question of whether or not an employee in the Los Angeles District Attorney's Office uh, could be fired because he went to his boss and said, hey, boss, the sheriff here has misrepresented the facts in the affidavit he submitted for a search warrant. Uh, The boss didn't care. They kept prosecuting the guy anyway. So this employee went to the defense and agreed to help them out to try and have the case tossed, and he was fired for that. And the court said, quote, we hold that when public employees make statements pursuant to their official duties. The employees are not speaking as citizens for First Amendment purposes, and the Constitution does not insulate their communications from employer discipline. Now, that kind of makes sense, but then the court muddied the waters a little bit more in 2014 in the case of Lane versus Franks, uh, where Lane was an employee working at a community college, and he fired a state representative who happened to be on payroll there And as part of this, uh, the uh, president of the community college then in turn fired the professor because the professor not only fired that representative but testified against the representative in a criminal charge for stealing money. Uh, And the court unanimously – so bear in mind, Ceballos was five to four. The Lane v. Franks case is unanimous. Uh, The court said that an employee who testifies against a state representative on corruption charges uh, and was later fired for it, that testimony – was as a private citizen on a matter of public concern, even though the info learned was part of the job. So the gist of it is, if you're a public employee, you have this Pickering balancing test that has to be matters of public concern, and you have to be speaking as a private citizen, uh, of which nothing you do as part of your job is as a private citizen, unless it's something where you're testifying based on stuff you learned. I don't really know. It's confusing as hell. There's a lot of other cases in the circuit and district courts that just completely are all over the map with a lot of different stuff. Uh, But this is why you pay First Amendment lawyers lots of money if you're going to do labor and employment law. Uh, So that's for the public employees. On the government contractor side, you still apply the Pickering test but it's slightly, it's weighted slightly differently because now you're not a bona fide government employee. You're a private citizen with a government contract. So the main case there is the Board of County Commissioners versus Umbear. Uh, basically, this guy was a garbage collector for the county, but he spent a lot of time criticizing the county commission and how crooked they were. So as part of that, they canceled his contract. 
and he sued, saying that violated his First Amendment rights because his criticisms of the county commission had been taking place before they gave him the contract in the first place. And the Supreme Court said, yes, that was right, another 5-4 decision. They claimed his rights were violated, and they couldn't cancel his contract. So Pickering test for public employees, modified Pickering test for contractors. If you're a private party, though, there is no Pickering test at all. So the court has said, and this is from a Perry v. Sinderman. This is a 1972 case. It's a 5-3 decision. It also involves a government employee, but the court spelled out how it applies to private employees as well. The court says, quote, for at least a quarter century, this court has made clear that even though a person has no right to a valuable government benefit, and even though the government may deny him the benefit for any number of reasons, there are some reasons upon which the government may not rely. It may not deny a benefit to a person on a basis that infringes his constitutionally protected interest, especially his interest in freedom of speech. For if the government could deny a benefit to a person because of his constitutionally protected speech or associations, his exercise of those freedoms would in effect be penalized and inhibited. This would allow the government to produce a result which it could not command directly. Such interference with constitutional rights is impermissible. So you see a lot of this line of thought that the government can't punish you for First Amendment conduct. Uh, there's a lot of cases involving the Communist Party back during the uh, the Red Scare days. Uh, there's a case where a lawyer in Arizona passed the bar but was not allowed to get a law license because she wouldn't answer whether or not she'd ever been part of the Communist Party. The Supreme Court said that that was improper. Uh, in Crawford L. versus Britain, a uh, basically the jail officials retaliated against an inmate because he had criticized them in the media. So he got shipped to a prison in Florida, but his belongings got shipped like three weeks later, so he didn't have his stuff for a while. Uh, and then in Hartman versus Moore in 2006, this is a 5-2 decision uh, because Roberts wasn't allowed to participate because he had been on the appeals court before he was on the Supreme Court to hear the case. And Alito had just been confirmed, so he had missed oral arguments. Uh, but the court said that official reprisal for protected speech offends the Constitution because it threatens to inhibit exercise of the protected right. And the law is settled that as a general matter, the First Amendment prohibits government officials from subjecting an individual to retaliatory actions, including criminal prosecutions for speaking out. Some official actions adverse to such a speaker might well be unexceptionable if taken on other grounds, but when non-retaliatory grounds are in fact insufficient to provoke the adverse consequences, we have held that retaliation is subject to recovery as the but-for cause of official action offending the Constitution. When the vengeful officer is federal, he is subject to an action for damages. So that's essentially the state of the case law by the Supreme Court. Now, like I said, there's a lot of district court decisions. There's a lot of circuit court of appeals decisions that apply to the states using this case law and applying it to particular facts. But the gist of it is, if you are a private citizen and the government retaliates against you for some form of conduct, there are three things you have to prove in a suit. You have to prove, first, that you were engaged in some form of constitutionally protected activity. So free speech, free exercise, petitioning the government for redress of grievances, peaceable assembly, all that sort of thing. Second, you have to prove that the government's actions against you would, and here's the magic language that lawyers use, would chill a person of ordinary firmness from continuing to engage in the protected activity. Now, that person of ordinary firmness, is that a generic person 
or is that a person in your particular situation? So, for example, with journalists, is it an ordinary person in that situation, or is it an ordinary journalist in that situation? Don't really know. That's an issue that the circuit courts happen to fight about in implementation uh, that maybe one day the Supreme Court will resolve. But just know that's the second piece. It has to be something where the government's actions would chill a person of ordinary firmness from continuing to engage in the protected activity. And then third, your protected activity was a substantial or motivating factor in the government's conduct. So if you prove those three things, you get to go forward to a trial to have the jury decide whether or not you should get money. So if you take that case law and you apply it to the context of what's going on with Trump and with sports folks, uh, they might actually have a cause of action if something happens. You know, So take, for example, Jamel Hill at ESPN. So the plaintiff was engaged in a constitutionally protected activity. That's a given because she's a sports reporter. The third part, the government's conduct, the plaintiff's protected activity was a substantial or motivating factor in the government's conduct. That's a given because Trump essentially calls her out by name and mentions ESPN by name. So it's obvious that her calling him a white supremacist triggered his response. So one and three are already covered. The main question is part two whether the president's conduct against the plaintiff would chill a person of ordinary firmness from continuing to engage in the protected activity. Now, in Hill's case, she didn't delete the tweets calling him a supremacist. She still continues to tweet saying that he is. So that kind of cuts against her case if she were to try and file suit. But at the same time, there was essentially an apology issued. She apologized for it. So it was a, a different type of apology rather than apologize to Trump. She apologized to ESPN for putting them in that situation. But an argument could be made that that action, that act of apologizing to anybody is chilling that conduct because of the fact that the president decided to weigh in. So it's something to consider. But those essentially are the three prongs that have to be proven if you are a private person. You have to prove you're engaged in protected activity. You have to prove that the government's conduct would chill you from doing that again in the future. And you have to prove that your protected activity prompted the government to do it. So if the president keeps this up, uh, even though he won't be personally liable, uh, taxpayers will be on the hook for the government retaliating against people for First Amendment protected expression. So folks, that's going to do it for this episode. We are under an hour. Hallelujah. We're only at 57 minutes. Uh, so thank you for tuning in. I appreciate it. Again, please make sure to join the conversation online. We are on Twitter at Fiskamall. That is at F-S-C-K-E-M-A-L-L. -L. Uh, you can follow us on our website, Fiskamall.com. Leave us a comment, write us a review, give us a rating, and all that happy, fun stuff. Uh, on behalf of myself, Mike, the sound guy, and Samson, uh, thank you all for listening. Have a blessed week, and I'll talk to you next Monday.